Before we begin, just to make mention of a few sponsorships of this morning's shear. Today happens to be the yard site of Mr. Lee Wallach, and we hope that his neshama will have an aliyah. The shear is being sponsored by the Rosenberg and Wallach families, and Lee is such a part of everything that this community stands for and represents, and we hope that all the inspiration from this morning will be an aliyah to neshama for him. Also, we remember fondly Dr. Robert Van Amarangin, whose yard site is today as well. Itamar Tzvi Ben Yitzchak, Yud Aleph Adar is his first yard site, and uh, anybody who knew him also knows the contributions that he made to this community in so many different ways. And finally, uh, I thank our friends from Teaneck, Becky and Avi Katz, who decided that they want to sponsor this year for the entire year uh, in honor of their mother, Louis Grossman. I don't know if she's here this morning. And in memory of their father, David Ben Menachem Manish, we hope that he will have an alias and a as well. His yard site also comes out to be this week. Uh, it's really a great pleasure to learn together once again with everyone. And I'm grateful to all of you for coming out, as always, to be with each other and to inspire one another. Our weekly Tuesday morning shear has morphed into an amazing group of people who I feel very close and very comfortable with. And we share in a lot of personal ups and downs in life. And in the spiritual journeys of our lives, we try to grow together as individuals and as a community. First of all, before we begin, I welcome the amazing team of Nechama Kamalhar and all of your unbelievable guests who are here with us today, all the guests from TJJ for Moms. We celebrate the fact that you feel comfortable in our community. We are excited that you're here, and we hope that you'll continue to come back for many happy and wonderful days and share together in our journey as we all try to grow as a community. So, because I feel comfortable here and because I love to talk openly in this venue, I thought this would be the most appropriate place for me to share my own impressions, my own feelings that are very personal. Um, last night I sat down to write up everything I was feeling. It took me a very long time, but it was something that was very healthy for me to be able to to be able to understand for myself what it is that I experience and what it is that maybe all of us can take out as well. So let me just begin. Last week's Parsha, what we just read, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the building of the Mishkan. So we start with Parsha's Truma, we then go into Parsha's Tetzadeh, and then we have Vayakel Pekude, which basically are a repeat of the whole story once again. But the Torah opens up Parsha's Truma with the contributions that all the Jewish people were expected to give. You are supposed to take a gift from everyone who is willing to give, from everyone who is willing to contribute. And that is the way that the Mishkan was originally built, because of the contributions of the Jewish people. So I'd like to begin this morning with a heart-wrenching poem that was sent to me last week by an almana in Eretz Yisrael. And this really set the stage for me as we read through the parshios and we learn about the building of the Mishkan, you may say to yourself, how relevant is it? And if Mashiach were to come today and build a Beis Hamikdash, would the Ribbon Shalom want my gold and my silver? So what exactly am I supposed to be thinking when I describe the building of the Mishkan? And this woman put it in words, what I find to be very worthy of being on every one of our refrigerators, this amazing poem. So she writes as follows. How many contributions have been taken by you? And what contributions are those? 
Another sponsorship. Janet, are you here? Janet and Robert Spector, in memory of Janet's beloved mother, who also we remember, Latov, Rosalind Bramson, who was a regular at our shir. What warm memories. Ratz Abbas Nechemya. Is her yard site today as well? This Shabbos. Wow. Her neshama should have an aliyah. And we should have much happier things to celebrate here and much greater opportunities to commemorate the lives of many great people. But we hope that her neshama, along with all the others, will have an aliyah. So let me begin once again. Kama trumos nesfu alecha. How many contributions have you taken, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How many kind-hearted people are there in your nation? How many women have contributed their husbands, have given up their husbands? How many mothers and fathers have given up for you, have given up their children, their sons? How many friends have given over those who are most beloved to them? And Young women who are engaged, who gave up their soon-to-be husbands. Umeya shloshim va'arba trumos shetzrichos of lashuv legvulan. A hundred and thirty-four people who still need to come back, who have given of themselves on behalf of you. Raglayim nitrumu. How many soldiers have given their legs? Yadayim sheikh ziku as delas hamamad. How many people gave their hands as they were holding the doors shut in their homes? Giborim shetarbu kilia these heroes of our army who have given up so much and then nilchamu lachzer lemagol halachima and came back to start fighting once again the moment they had the opportunity. Chasidim, nirtimu likshar tzitzios, how many great Jews got together to tie tzitzis for them. Kemach nitram la'alfei hafrash aschala, how many pounds of flour have been used to make different opportunities and venues of hafrash aschala. Anshe high-tech, how many businessmen Tarmu Atzmam Lachaklaus have given themselves over to go and work the fields, something they never imagined doing. How many members of Zaka and Ansheha Rabanud have given over themselves to do the work that is necessary to take care of all those who were in need? Suudo Shabbos Pinukin Hamiluim, how many Shabbos meals were sent to those women whose husbands are out fighting? And how many iPhones were given to Putsuim? How many gadgets were given out in the hospitals? How many guitars were brought to make the Yisomim happy? How many checkbooks were openly almana ha-chadasha shalayom? How amazing is it that nobody has asked anything in response? Nobody has asked for a thank you and nobody has asked to be recognized. And therefore, the only words that she says are, let us turn to this week's Haftorah. What does the Ribbona Shalom say in this week's Haftorah that we just read, Parshas Truma? We describe the building of the Beis Hamikdash in the days of Shlomo HaMelech. And the Ribbona Shalom says he appreciates all of the contributions. And he then says, This house that you have now come together to build as a community. The Ribbona Shalom promises, Because of what you have done. I promise you in response, I will now rest my Shechina in the midst of the Jewish people. It's a Pasuk in Sefer Malachim. And she asks that the Ribbon Shalom see the contributions that we as the Jewish people have given over the last four months. See everything, all of the gifts, all of the noble, generous, worthy, and honorable gifts that we have given. And give us that same promise. 
Velo Ezov Esami Israel. We are trying with all of our hearts to build a comfortable home for you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore we ask of you, Come together, take all of those contributions from the entire Jewish people all over the world. This, for me, sums up the last four months. What an amazingly powerful image to give as we read the Parshios, as we read the story of Parshas Truma and Tetzava and Vayakel Pekude, as we focus our attention on the building of the Mishkan and we ask ourselves, aren't we all trying to build Bilvavi Mishkan Evna? Are we not trying to build that presence of the Ribona Shalom inside of ourselves? How lucky and blessed we are to be a part of this generation. And yes, it's hard to be living through this. But look, Look what's happening. I keep thinking to myself of the Medrash by Kriyas Yamsuf. Somebody in Eretz Yisrael who suffered a big tragedy over the last couple of months told me that she feels this is a big Kriyas Yamsuf. Like the whole world is just being split apart. And we're seeing miracles, but we're also seeing a lot of difficulty. And on that occasion, I thought, I never thought a bit about Kriyas Yamsuf, but the Medrash does say on the occasion of Kriyas Yamsuf, there was a conversation that took place between two individuals that were walking through the dry land. Imagine... Here you see the greatest miracle that any human being has ever experienced in the history of the world. Never was and never will be. And the Medrash writes that a conversation breaks out between two individuals. And what do they say to each other? Ruvain turns to Shimon and he says, Do you see the mud on the bottom of my pants? I mean, we're sitting here walking through this land. Yes, it's dry, but it's still a little muddy. Look, what, look at my pants. And what I take from that Medrash is you can be going through the most unbelievable experience of his galus, of seeing the Ribbon Shalom, of watching everything that he's doing. And instead of seeing the bigger picture, you're focusing on the mud on the bottom of your pants. You're focusing on something that is so not important, that is so irrelevant to the moment. And it's important for all of us as we go through this experience of our Kriyas Yamsuf, as we go through this experience of having so many lives that are broken apart, so many assumptions in our own lives that used to be a given. It's important for all of us to realize there's a bigger picture. Don't get stuck on the mud on the bottom of your pants. Don't look at the things that are not relevant to the story. Look at how big this story is and understand how blessed we are to be a part of it. Now there is a remote possibility that some of you may have stumbled across some pictures or videos last week that were floating around the internet or various social media outlets. To be honest, I am slightly uncomfortable to be the topic of everyone's conversations, though I fully understand that I am a public person and I cannot always control the narrative. I cannot control how things unfold. Um, What happened in the hospital last week, my wife didn't even know what was going on. The first person who sent it out was actually Steve Meyer, who's here. My wife texted me after I left the hospital and was like, what in the world is going on? I said, it's hard to explain. Um, This happened very, very quickly. That being said, I have sincerely thanked HaKadosh Baruch Hu every day for allowing me to be a shliach, to advance and to facilitate such a sweeping Kiddush Hashem in Tel HaShomer Hospital last week. And I feel very blessed in my life to have interactions with all kinds of different people from a variety of backgrounds, different walks of life. 
And as interesting and as exciting as that is, it's the kind of life that I enjoy living. It's what I love to do. I also live with a constant personal fear. And I'm speaking very openly because this is what we do here on Tuesday mornings. I find it extremely difficult sometimes to think of the appropriate sensitive words that a particular individual needs to hear for whatever it is that they may be living through or experiencing. I always worry, always. I'm not an anxious person, but I worry all the time that someone somewhere that I will meet or somebody who will be listening to me will be turned off by a word or a backhanded comment that I say. It's terrifying. It scares me all the time. And especially when you have shiurim that are posted on the internet and you speak a lot, it's something that really concerns me. It's something that I really am afraid of. Very often before I walk into someone's house or meet with somebody who's going through whatever it may be, I offer a tefillah on my own. I ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem Sefasai Tiftach. I ask the Rebona Shalom to put the right words in my mouth. I hope that they will resonate with people. I hope that they will be meaningful to this individual for whatever it is they're living through. And part of the aspiration of every Jew are the words that we say in Kriya Shema every day. So the Gemara wonders, what does it mean? And the Gemara says what it means is, The aspiration of every Jew in all of our lives is supposed to be that the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu should be more enhanced, should be more deeply appreciated because of the way in which we interact with other people, due to the manner in which we lead our own lives. What does it mean when we say there's a Chilol Hashem? Chilol Hashem means somebody judges the Ribbon Shalom negatively because of the way they see that we behave. So Kiddush Hashem means the opposite, means when you have the opportunity to make the Ribbon Shalom more beloved to someone who before didn't have that relationship, didn't have that understanding. That's what all of us are supposed to be working toward. It's what we say every day. Nobody is absolved of that obligation. On the rare occasion that the Ribbona Shalom allows us to see that being fulfilled, I can say for myself, it is extremely overwhelming and it is a very humbling experience. And that's what I've been feeling. Many of our regular attendees of the Shir have reached out to me with a whole host of questions, very curious, very interested. What happened last week? How did this happen? Were you in touch with the Mossad? I'll tell you, you all knew that I was planning a trip way before anything happened. I'm happy to speak about it this morning, but it's really in the hope that it's something that everyone can learn from, because I think it's very personal for all of us. I don't think that I'm unique in any way, and I think it's something that everybody has the opportunity to take away from as well. So the first point that I, to me, is most valuable is the following. A number of people have said to me over the last couple of days, Shai, you just, you're always in the right place at the right time. And honestly, that comment is extremely disturbing to me. It's not upsetting. I'm not upset at all. But it's just, it's disturbing. It's disappointing is the right word. Because if that's the takeaway from the story, then you turn to yourself and you say, I'm just never in the right place at the right time, so there's nothing I can learn from this. This was not an incident of being in the right place at the right time at all. This was three months of a substantial investment of my time and effort 
for people who I did not know beforehand and who I have absolutely zero relationship with before this war began. This was three months of coming to shul every day and actually crying when we say Tehillim. And really thinking about the plight of individuals who need our tefillahs. This was three months of our family offering sympathy and love, unconditional love, to people who we did not know. This has been hours and hours of investment of our time. This has been making sure to call, to text, to connect, to contact, to send money, and to do everything we could for Jews who desperately needed our help. This story did not start or end last week in Tel Shomer on Tuesday. It is not the right place at the right time. That is not what happened. And the reason why I share this is because I feel passionately confident in saying that this is something that every single one of us has the ability to do on his or her own as well. I am not special. I am not unique. I am not different than anyone else. We have an amazing community. We are a community of people who actually care. We are a community of people who are very engaged, who are very involved. And we all have it in us to pay close attention to what's going on, to identify a need, to stay on task, to stay focused, and to make an outstanding and enduring contribution to enhance the lives of other people who may need our attention and our love. And to me, that is the most significant takeaway of all of this. Every one of us has the ability to make the right place at the right time moment for ourselves as well. It doesn't happen by itself. It happens because we care. And we have so many members of our community who have gone to Eretz Yisrael, who have contributed, who are making hats, who are sending packages. I've been so inspired. You just came back from Eretz Yisrael last week. You went on your own. I'm pointing to you, but I can point to so many others in our community. And if you don't have the ability to go to Eretz Yisrael because you're just not at that stage of life or you cannot afford it, that's okay. But we know how many people in our community have stepped up to make meaningful contributions in their own ways, to make this something that they feel a part of. How many in our community, I don't think it's enough, but how many in our community have signed up for the program Mishpacha Le Mishpacha? It's not a major investment of our time. It's, con- it's committing ourselves to just stay focused, to pay attention to an individual who needs some chizuk, who needs some help. And guess what? You can give it to them. I give it to the people I know. I don't know everybody. I know just a few. All of us know just a few. There are thousands of people on the other side of the ocean who can use our love, who can use our support, and it doesn't mean always giving money. It means just showing that we care, showing that we are there to be completely and unconditionally supportive of everything that they need. We can do it. We are, like the Gemara says, we are Rahmanim by nature. We are compassionate. We are kind. We're warm-hearted people. It's who we are. We know how to care and we know how to love. And we have this in ourselves to do it. We just need to focus. We need to focus. I feel missions are beautiful. Missions are really great. And especially if you've never been to Eretz Yisrael yet in the last four months, missions are really amazing and inspiring. And in Mirza Hashem, Rabbi Axarad will be leading a mission next week. I'm excited for that opportunity that the shul will have once again to go to Eretz Yisrael and to see and to contribute and to be a part. It's so special that we continue to do this. But beyond that, I think there needs to be something more. If you go on a mission, try to focus on one or two or three individuals that you will meet who resonate with you, who you connect with for whatever reason, and stay focused on those people and give them your attention. I was traveling last week to Eretz Yisrael for two and a half days. I had one goal in mind. I wanted to see my sisters who have sons and husbands who are currently in Gaza and in Syria. 
I also wanted to reconnect with all the beautiful Jews who I'd met and become close with over the last four months. It was a very quick trip. One of the people who I had made up to spend time with was this particular hostage family. We were supposed to get together. We spent significant time when they were here in New York. They were one of the first families that came in to speak about their family members. They had five family members who were being held hostage. And we've been in very close personal contact ever since. So we were actually scheduled to get together for dinner in Tel Aviv on Tuesday night. I said to them, I'm only coming for two and a half days. Maybe you can meet me in Yerushalayim. That would be helpful to me. And they said, no, Yerushalayim, everyone gets stabbed. We can't. I said, it's interesting you say that. You're from the community of Near O's where there's a tunnel under every house where the whole community has been taken. I know, black humor. This is, this is the way we've been talking the last few months. But I said, it's, it's amazing to me. You're scared to come to Yerushalayim, but you're comfortable living on the border of Gaza where half of your, of your community was murdered or taken hostage. It's very interesting. But okay, I decided I'll go to Tel Aviv. Happy to meet up with them. Happy to spend time. And that was the plan. Sunday evening at midnight when we were in JFK airport, I received a text from one of these women that the army just picked them up and they are driving them to the hospital because their father was very shockingly, miraculously recovered, rescued. So they asked me if I would consider coming directly from Ben-Gurion to the hospital to come and meet their father. And I told them that I think this is a very personal, a very private moment for the family and that my being there as an outsider would be something that would not be welcome or appropriate at all. We ended up texting back and forth the whole flight. And when I landed, I told them, I have 10 hours on the plane. You'll see what's doing. You'll let me know what you want me to do. When I landed, they basically told me, Abba Rotselev Goshotcha, our father wants to meet you. So would you mind coming to Tel Shomer? So I'm usually a pretty organized person and I usually like to prepare things in advance. Honestly, I'm usually not afraid to speak anywhere or to visit someone. I was terrified. There were one or two people from this community who were with me in the car who can tell you how scared I was. I had no idea what to say. I had no idea how I was supposed to say. How am I supposed to react? How do I interact with all of them? This man just spent 125 days in captivity. I had no idea if he was in a tunnel, in a house, not that it mattered. He hadn't even been free for 10 hours. He doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know where I came from. He's probably severely psychologically scarred and damaged. I honestly don't remember ever being afraid to go anywhere before, but I had 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes to figure out from the time we left the airport to Tel Hashomer what exactly I was going to do. That was a very brief amount of time for me. And I contacted my father and Rav Asher Weiss and I asked them, really, I was asking for myself, am I supposed to make a bracha when I see this man? I was asking, am I supposed to make a shechianu? The Shulchan Aruch says, if you see somebody after 30 days when you thought they weren't alive, you're supposed to make a shechianu. If you see someone after 12 months, you make a mechayan mesim. I don't know. I assume many of us had the thought cross our minds that maybe these people aren't alive. But then again, I said to myself, it's only haroa es chavero. The Shulchan Aruch says, it's only if you see your friend. I'm not really a friend of this guy. I don't know who he is. But on the other hand, all of us feel like we're friends with them. Everybody feels very close to these people, even though we've never met them. So I wasn't sure what to do. Then I'm thinking, do I make a matir asurim? I'm going through the whole sitter trying to think what is supposed to happen. All of the above, none of the above. I really wasn't sure what to say. So Rav Asher Weiss told me, I'm not sure. I need 20, 30 minutes to think about it. And I told him, I don't have 20 or 30 minutes. 
I'm supposed to be in the hospital very soon. I, I really need you to figure out what to do. So my father's response was that all of these brachas are debatable. Yes, maybe no. But he said the important thing is that this individual needs to do a birchas agomel. I was so uncomfortable. I've never met this man before. I don't know who he is. He's from a completely secular, unaffiliated community. Um, I honestly was not prepared. I'll be very honest. I know I love my father, but I was not prepared to ask him to do anything religious. I, I just didn't... I didn't think it was appropriate, and I really didn't know what to do. To complicate matters even more, my father then reminded me, by the way, Shai, if you go there and you're going to say Birchas HaGomel, don't forget, you can't say Gomel without a minion. So <laughs> at that point, I became overwhelmingly uncomfortable because I was certainly not bringing a minion with me into the hospital. So I really decided that I'd just forget about it. I'll go visit and whatever it is. So I arrive at the hospital, which, by the way, was closed off by the Shabak. Last time around, when the hostages got out, many people came in and did very inappropriate interviews and information and intelligence got out that shouldn't have been in the media. Because of that, the Shabbat closed off the whole ward of the hospital. They were not allowing any non-family members to come in. So the family came and met me outside with an Ishur, and they brought me in with the security establishment, and we went inside together. What was most shocking to me about this encounter was that these two hostages are completely frozen in time. They're oblivious to what's going on. They have no knowledge of anything that's gone on in Eretz Yisrael or in the world over the last four months. They don't know that there is a war that's raging. They don't know how many of their friends or neighbors have been killed. They don't know how many people have been taken captive, brutally murdered. They know absolutely nothing at all. And Louis turned to his daughters and he said, can you explain to me, how do you know this guy? Like, what's the story here? And they were trying to explain to him how our relationship developed. So they started telling him, you know, we traveled all over the world and we spoke all over the place advocating on your behalf. Um, We tried to do everything we could to be helpful to you. And he was in complete shock. He couldn't process what they were telling him. So in total confusion, he turns to me and he says, so, Achshav Igata, you just came from Chutzlaretz? I said, yeah, Achshav Nachatati. So he says, that's funny because, Anigam Achshav Nachatati. So it lightened the mood a little bit. And then we embraced and we hugged and we cried a lot. At which point he emphatically turned to me and he said, in Hebrew, you are the first Rav Dati I've met in my life. And he on his own says to me, Ani margish, I feel, Shani chayav levarech, Ani rotze levarech, Ani lo yodea ech levarech. So what do I do? So I called Aray Leibowitz, who was in the YU Beis Medrash, and I asked him to put me on FaceTime with the boys in the Beis Medrash, and I wanted this man to see. And he's looking around, and I showed him. I began to explain to him that every one of these young men has been davening for you, and not only them, Jewish communities all over the world have been caring about you, have been crying for you, and I've been looking forward to your safe return. He couldn't process. He could not wrap his head around it. He just couldn't understand it. And my father then said that since Berchas HaGomel is really supposed to be a public broadcasting of a miracle, my father, Paskin, that the Wayu Beis Medrash should stop learning, which is not something that we do lightly. It's not something that anyone does ever. Talmud Torah Kenegat Kulam, we take Torah learning very seriously. 
But my father felt that for such an opportunity of a Kiddushem Shamayim and to publicize a miracle in that way, he thought that the entire base medrash of hundreds of people should stop learning and should respond to Louis Bracha. The Kiddush Hashem I can't describe of this man watching and crying as hundreds of young frung men on the other side of the ocean began to dance and rejoice for his safe and miraculous return. It was just so phenomenal to watch that. It was so amazing. And I said to him, I wish you could see that every community feels the same way. This is just one that happens to be available on the phone now, but every community would do the same for you. Some legitimately wondered why this was done on FaceTime and not in person in Eretz Yisrael with a minion, which is a very legitimate question. We usually don't use Zoom to make a minion. If somebody wants to dominate with a minion, you don't stay at home and then FaceTime into a shul. It doesn't really work that way. So it's a very important question. Actually, if you look in the svarim that have been written during the period of Corona, my father wrote about it, Rav Asher Weiss wrote about it as well, that when someone got out of the hospital during COVID and needed to make a Birch HaSagoma but wasn't well enough to go to shul, they did explain why this was something that was worthy. With the ward being closed off, as I mentioned, and uniting families, catching them up to speed, debriefings between the army about their mission. By the way, when I was there, all the different factions of the army were there and they were each showing the families their footage from this rescue. And it was amazing to see how much work went into this. This was three weeks of planning, very meticulous, careful planning. I don't think those videos will ever be shown publicly, but it was something that was just amazing to see. Um, there were mental and physical evaluations going on. It was just not an appropriate time for a minion to have possibly be brought into the ward. And therefore, especially when the Shulchan Aruch says that Birchas HaGomal has to be said within a certain time frame of when the miracle happens. So it just wasn't remotely possible. And that is why Rav Shechter and Rav Asher Weiss both felt that under the circumstances to be mefarsim, the miracle on FaceTime and to have a minion outside of the hospital was something that was extremely legitimate and appropriate. So Louis then turned to me and he asked, so you're telling me all these people have prayed for me. What exactly have they been saying? He's never opened a sitter in his life. So I showed him the tefillah l'chatufim, the prayer that all the shuls in our community have been saying, davening for all of them. And we read the euphoric psukim that are mentioned in that tefillah of Ufduye Hashem Yeshuvon Uvod Zion Berina. That is a description of the Navi Yeshaya when he talks about the Jewish people coming back from their captivity, from being in Galus. And we discussed our shared hope that the Jewish people would have the opportunity, just like his family was having the opportunity to celebrate and to rejoice with him. I was talking about how much we look forward as a community to having the opportunity to seeing the realization of that nevuah. And he kept telling me how conflicted he was that he's here celebrating with his family. At the same time, he was such intense pain knowing that there were still others out there who were enduring the torment and the suffering that he had experienced under the watch of these barbaric and horrific terrorists. So he opened up a sitter and... I turned to one particular bracha that I thought was relevant, and I have no idea if halacha allows one to do this, to just say a bracha from the sitter out of context, but I, I assumed it was the right thing to do. I turned to the bracha of Re'eva Anyenu, where we say in Shemona Esrei every day, 
We ask that HaKadosh Baruch Hu take notice of our suffering. We ask that HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ugi'aleinu meheira laman shemecha. We ask that the Ribbonu Shalolam look at every Jew who is in harm's way and bring them to a place where they'll finally be a part of a ge'ula. And that can mean a ge'ula prati, it can be a personal ge'ula, as so many individuals in our community need, but also a ge'ula klalit, a ge'ula for the entire Jewish people. And together we sat there and said every word of that bracha, this man has never looked in a sitter in his life. And we said the bracha together. And he was crying. And I said, can there be a more pure cry for a ge'ula than this? Than a person who experienced what it means to be in Golos. And who is davening not only on behalf of the other Jews who are his friends, but on behalf of the Jewish people. One extraordinary conversation was when his children told me about the moment they came to the hospital in the middle of the night. So before they entered their father's room to be reunited, the family went straight to the various units of soldiers who had orchestrated and executed this very daring mission. And they asked them one question. They asked them, was any soldier killed in the process of saving our father's life? And the army kept telling them, don't worry about it. That's not your focus right now. Like good Israelis, they insisted that they wanted an answer. The army insisted that they were not going to give them an answer. Finally, the army asked them, why are you so concerned? What's the problem? And they said, if anybody was killed in the context of this raid, we are first going to hug the almana who is at home mourning her husband before we go into our father's room to be reunited with him. I was so moved to have the presence of mind to think like that. What an unbelievable, genuine, deep sense of Ben Adam Lachabero, that the just the human compassion. We have the ability to be selfless and to be generous to other people in so many different ways. Who would have ever imagined that somebody can say such a thing? It just completely blew me away and taught me such an important lesson about how far our appreciation and love for other people can go. The family described the startling phone calls that they got from the army at three o'clock in the morning. So one daughter told me that she was sleeping and she didn't hear the phone ring at all, rang many, many times. She slept through the whole thing. It wasn't until two hours later that someone came to the house and banged down the door and actually woke her up and took her out of bed to join the entire family reunion. And as she was telling me this, I couldn't help but to think about the unbelievable power of that imagery. I kept asking myself, is the Ribbon Shalolam calling us at three o'clock in the morning? Is HaKadosh Baruch Hu trying to wake us up in the middle of a very long sleep in Galus. Has the Ribbon Shalolam been trying to galvanize the Jewish people to wake up and be reunited with him once again? Are we just sleeping through that call? Is that us? Is that us who are sleeping through at three o'clock in the morning not realizing that the Ribbon Shalolam is trying to get in touch with us and we just miss the whole story? You miss everything. What does the Ribbon Shalolam need to do? Send someone to bang down the door and pull us out of bed? Or is it good enough that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has been calling out to us? Don't let yourself miss the call entirely. That was what I took from her conversation. Then the second daughter told me that she heard the phone calls. She was up, but she chose to ignore it three times in a row because she was nervous. She was nervous that it would be a horrible update from the army that she didn't want to deal with, that she didn't want to hear, that she did not want to accept. After three times, she finally built up the courage to call back And she said a female soldier on the other line starts shouting at her, 
Abba biadenu, Abba biadenu. And I told them that Jews all over the world have been feeling so lost and so confused these past couple of months. How many Jews have been trying to find their Abba? How many Jews have been trying to understand where the Rebona Shalom is hiding? And how could it be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not so clear to us, that His presence is not felt the way maybe we have felt it in other ways? So many of us have been waiting for that phone call of Abba Biyadenu. So many of us have been waiting to hear from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that He is here and that He is with us. How many of us would love to have that hug and that embrace with our Father, to be able to sit down with Him and ask Him all the questions that we have, all the challenges that we struggle with, to understand every detail, every experience, every concern that we have, every everything. I shared with them the insight of the Chafetz Chaim. We daven every day for a geula. I don't know about you, but many times I've thought, it's just so unrealistic. What does it mean to have a geula? How is this going to happen? Look at the geopolitical structure that we have today. Who's going to fix this? Mashiach might be very amazing and very talented. But even Mashiach can't figure this out. What's going to happen? What exactly does a geula mean? So you're supposed to say, like a good Jew, we wait for a geula, we wait for Mashiach every day. But then you think about it deeply and you ask yourself, is this really possible? How could this be? You look around the world, and it seems almost impossible. So the Chafetz Chaim has an unbelievable comment to address this point. Chafetz Chaim says, let's look at the story of Yosef. Can you imagine what the brothers were thinking? As all of this mystifying experience was unfolding in Mitzrayim. We're a bunch of innocent brothers who are coming down to get some food. Because our family is going to die from starvation. We're like everybody else. A bunch of simple people. And they show up in Egypt and suddenly... They have one encounter and another and they start asking them questions. And who's your father? Did you ask anyone else on the line who's your father? Did you ask anybody else if they have other siblings at home? What kind of question is that? You came to buy food. You ever went into the supermarket and the cashier starts asking you, how many kids do you have at home? I don't understand. I'm not going to let you check out until all of them come to the supermarket with you right now. What does that even mean? You have a line of people who are waiting. Did you demand that of anybody else in line? Did you expect that of anybody else who's here? So what does this mean? Can you imagine what the brothers are thinking? Then they go back. They bring Binyamin with them. Yaakov really doesn't want Binyamin to go down. Yehuda has to promise with his life that he's going to take care of him, that he takes responsibility. And one thing after the other, and then the stolen cup, and they get arrested, and we're going to keep this one, we're going to keep that one. What's happening? Are we crazy? Did somebody steal a cup? Can you imagine the brothers fighting with each other? Who was stupid enough to steal the cup from the palace? Who was that crazy? Don't you see we're under scrutiny? Don't you see we're being watched? Don't you see they're onto us? Don't you see something bad is going to happen? Who dared to steal the cup? How did this happen? 
Imagine how confusing that experience was. Imagine how many hundreds of questions they all had as a family. What is happening to us? We used to be a normal family. Everything was fine. What's going on here? Says the Chafetz Chaim, how did all of that become resolved? How did all of those questions fall away? What happened? Said the Chafetz Chaim, all that happened was two words. The king of Egypt comes into the room and he turns to his brothers and he says, Ani Yosef! Nothing more needs to be said. The moment he says, Ani Yosef, all the brothers turn to each other and immediately they understand. Now this makes sense. We don't have any questions anymore. It was the absolute truth in front of their own eyes. All that needed to be said was, Ani Yosef. And the moment those words were shared, nobody had a question anymore. All the confusion of their life suddenly became completely clear, completely obvious to everyone. Said the Chafetz Chaim, we have a lot of confusion as we live through this experience of Galos. And we ask ourselves, how is this ever going to end? How will the Jewish people ever be safe? How will the Jews in Eretz Yisrael ever have an opportunity to live lives comfortably, without worrying? How will we survive this experience that we are going through? Where is our Father in Heaven throughout all of this? How is it possible that we are going through all of these horrific tragedies and experiences every day compounding? You know what the answer to all of those mystifying questions is going to be? When the Rebona Shalom will finally come and just say, Ani Hashem. And the moment we are exposed to that reality, suddenly, everything becomes obvious. Suddenly, there's no more confusion. All we need, just like Yosef, to say, Ani Yosef, we need the Rebona Shalom to stand up and say, Ani Hashem. And once that happens... There's no longer any confusion at all. In describing the ultimate Geula, the Navi Yeshaya talks so much about different aspects of what Geula is going to look like. But then he says, a famous Pasuk that we say on Rosh Hashanah, On that day when we will experience Geula, there will be a big resounding shofar that all of us will hear. And the Jews will come, the Nidachim. What does that mean? Those who have been in exile, those who have been out of their land, will come from Ashur and from Mitzrayim, and they'll have the opportunity to bow down once again, to serve the Rebona Shalom, to be in His presence, and to be reunited. I once saw in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, what does this Pasuk mean? The Jews will come from Ashur and from Mitzrayim. Are those the only countries where the Jews will come from? Actually, I challenge you. Do you know a single Jew who lives in Ashur? You know any Jews who live in Egypt? I'm sure there are. But you don't know any of them. It's not where the big population of Jews is today. So what does the Navi even mean? In our times... There are practically no Jews that live in either of these places. So why are these two locations singled out 
when we speak about the Geula HaAsita, when we talk about the ultimate redemption, explains the Baal Shem Tov, what the Navi Yeshaya is describing here is not two countries. That's not where the Jews are. They're not in Mitzrayim and they're not in Ashur. These two countries represent two different forms of exile, two different forms of Gullus. The word Mitzrayim can be rearranged to be read as Meitzarim. Meitzarim symbolizes very narrow straits. Meitzar means you're confined, you're constricted. That symbolizes the Jews coming back from difficulty, from deep oppression, from brutality, from injustice, from a double standard, from being held in very narrow Meitzarim. The Jews are going to come back from there. But the Jews are also going to come back from Ashur, which the Baal Shem Tov suggests is a reference to Osher. There are some Jews who live very happy, healthy, prosperous, plentiful lives like we are blessed to have here in the United States for now. Those are the two symbols of Gullus. There's the classical form of Gullus that the Jewish people have had for many, many, many centuries. They have lived through oppression, through hatred, through bigotry, where they are persecuted, where they are oppressed, where they are victimized, where they are called out. But there's a second form of Gullus, and we need to recognize this is Gullus also. This is Gullus. It's the Gullus of Ashur. It's the Gullus of Osher, where we have pure luxury, where we are granted incredible abundance, where we have great success, where we have unbelievable comfort, where we live a life of plenty. But sometimes that is the deepest form of exile because we don't even realize that we're in exile. We forget that we're in Gullus in the first place. Many in our generation are blessed not to be living in Gullus Mitzrayim. Unfortunately, there are some that are living through that. And we look forward and we pray for their redemption and for them to come home safely from their Gullus of Meitzarim. But many of us in the room live in an experience of the Gullus of Osher, the Gullus of Ashur. Let us never forget. Let us never forget that we are not yet a redeemed people, that we are still in the process of a tahalich hagu'ula. We are in the middle of a process of redemption. Ultimately, what we look forward to is that all of us will be redeemed, that we'll have the opportunity to come back But what is that aspiration and for what? To come back for what? To come back because Israel is the high-tech capital of the world? To come back because the country is so beautiful? All of those may be true. We yearn to come back because we'll finally have the opportunity to say, Abba Biyadena. We'll finally have the opportunity to be reunited with HaKadosh Baruch Hu to understand what that even means. That's what we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And as we read these parshios, I think it's just an amazing thought for all of us to consider as we read in these weeks about the building of the Mishkan, about the contributions of the Jewish people toward those efforts. Parshas Truma and Titzaveh by Yakel and Pekude. What an opportunity for all of us to turn to the words of the Navi in Sefer Malachim and to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to see all the contributions that we have given as a people. All of the time, all of the effort, all of the energy that we have expended, everything that we have invested, everything that we have become as a people and as a nation. And we ask our Kaddish Baruch Hu to fulfill his promise. Yisrael.
that the Ribbono Shalom should live comfortably inside all of us. Not just the aspiration to build a Mishkan, but Bilvavi Mishkan Evne. In our own hearts, we all have the ability to build that relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to come to an understanding of what that means. And we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to fulfill His promise below Ezovas Ami Yisrael. May He never forsake the Jewish people. May He continue to be with us. May we be able to see that light and that great Yeshua. It's what we daven for every day. It's the aspiration of every Jew. And Amir Tzashem, we should have the opportunity together to celebrate that opportunity as we will be reunited with Avinu Shabashamayim Bimheira Vi Amenu Amen Amen.